Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Lubert. If you would like to be a part of the program, you could always give me a call on the listener hotline, which has been fairly cold uh, lately. That number 303-832-0217. You also have all the contact links in the description of this fine program. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about super cruising. No, not in a boat, uh, but in a car. And when I say super cruise, I mean General Motors super cruise feature. They call it their hands-free feature rather than full self-driving feature, since there really isn't a true self-driving car out there just yet, even though GM is working on something called Ultra Cruise, which is more self-driving, but not there yet. So just a bit. We'll be speaking to uh, General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller. I'll ask him about Ultra Cruise, and we'll also talk about Super Cruise and all the aspects of self-driving and hands-free driving and if the roads have to be enhanced and, and what is involved in the vehicle to uh, make it uh, uh, hands-free, I guess, and what's a, is there a difference between their technology and something like you've heard with Tesla. I, I got a whole bunch of questions for Jeff, and we'll talk to him coming up in just a little bit. I think it'll be pretty interesting. Uh, this just in from AAA. The annual cost of a new car ownership surges past $10,000. I, I, I'm see, Before reading through this email uh, from Skylar McKinley, friend of the show, I and his news release, my guess is that it's going to be based on gas prices. Uh, all right. So he says, uh, amid historic inflation, new car buyers are paying more for all things automotive, including fuel, maintenance, and insurance. That's the latest from AAA's Your Driving Cost Analysis, which found the average annual cost to own and operate a new vehicle in 2022 is up more than 10% over last year. According to this year's report, the average yearly cost to own and operate a new vehicle in 2022 is $10,728 or $894 a month. That's an 11% increase from 2021, where the average yearly cost was $9,666 or $805.50 per month. Not surprisingly, fuel prices are the most significant factor driving up this year's average annual price tag. Boom, there it is. Um, I would think the cost of the vehicles are also... Uh, probably driving a lot of this cost as well, because I think their their monthly cost is probably the monthly cost to own the vehicle or to lease a vehicle, which have obviously gone up. Uh, Skyler continues, uh, the an electric vehicle owner will spend about four cents per mile to charge their vehicles at home, while the owner of a gas-powered vehicle will spend an average of 18.4 cents per mile to gas up. Assuming both drive 15,000 miles a year, it would cost approximately $2,700 a year to fuel the gas-powered vehicle and $600 a year to charge the electric vehicle. Well, those vehicle, those those numbers would change because gas prices are changing. You you you're, I'm sure they're figuring out the gas price based on a certain level. I, I don't know what it is, but, but let's just say it was four dollars a gallon. Well, gas could be five, gas could be three, gas could be two fifty, gas could be four seventy five, and it changes, it fluctuates. So that's got to be a uh, fun, you know, a, a, a fluctuating number, the twenty seven hundred dollars. And it's the same with electric uh, vehicle charging 
as that kilowatt hour cost is different as well, depending on if you're charging during the day when your kilowatt hour cost is higher. If you're charging it during a tiered billing uh, on a tiered billing plan where you are charged more during the summer or and the winter than you are at other times, or are you doing overnight? Are you doing it at work? Where so so the four cents a mile is based on what as a per kilowatt hour charge. That's those are all. You have to start thinking about that as your kilowatt hour charge is basically your gallons of gas charge. So like in my car, my my Chevy Volt, it gets, um, I, I can hold, I think it's 15, 15, 16 kilowatts, seven, maybe 17 kilowatts of electricity. So it's not very much. It was one of the first generations of um, electric vehicles, so it doesn't really hold as much as the Teslas and the newer vehicles that can get a range of three or four or 500 miles. Mine at Pure optimal uh, battery temperature, uh, outside temperature, charge everything. So I can usually get about 45 miles in the most optimal of driving conditions. I could maybe get 45 miles on one single charge. It's usually closer to the 35 miles on a charge. Um, and so, and it changes depending on how you're driving it, if you're driving it fast or slow or whatever. So anyway, it's, it's complete. You can't just say it's four cents a mile because your mileage varies dramatically in an electric car, similar to a, a gas car, an ice car, but not as much. So let's say you're driving all uphill. You are going to obviously use more gas than you are driving downhill. But in an electric car, you're going to be using more of the power for all of your stuff that's inside the car than I think you are going to be using for gasoline inside your ice car. Because you have the generator in your engine uh, for a regular gas car, generating electricity to run the um, to charge up the battery. That then that little twelve volt or big twelve volt battery that then is powering your radio and any other electronic stuff that's in your car. Right, so it's just coming off the natural um, motion uh, use of the engine. So it's different. So and and they're not putting that in there. This is coming from a vehicle owner, me. Uh, who, who, you know, drives an electric car and has for almost 10 years now. So it, it, all of that changes. Anyway, uh, this is what uh, Skylar continues in this thing from AAA. Beyond fuel savings, electric vehicles have the lowest maintenance, repair, and tire costs. That's because gas-powered vehicles require additional maintenance, such as oil changes, air filter replacements, and inspection of mechanical components not present in electric vehicles. That is definitely true. Additionally, electric vehicles have the lowest fees due to federal and state rebates offered to buyers of new electric vehicles as a purchase incentive. Speaking of that purchase incentive tax credit, that climate legislation that just passed recently um, significantly expands the consumer tax credit for buying an electric vehicle on a federal level. As the federal government offers $7,500 as a tax credit, that means you get that money back. It's not a, uh, it's not a tax uh, cut. It's it, you're not taking seventy five hundred dollars off of your um, income, so it's not reducing your taxable income, and then you're getting a break from that. You actually get the seventy five hundred dollars back if you buy the EV. That's what happened when I bought mine. But there's a catch here. In this new legislation, the EV has to be made with a certain percentage of minerals that's mined or processed in nations with U.S. free trade agreements or be recycled in North America. 
So right now, that provision that's in the legislation required for the tax credit doesn't exist. See, minerals required to make market-ready EV batteries, the lithium, the cobalt, the graphite, the nickel, they're primarily mined, refined, and processed in China, in Russia, in, in the Congo, and Indonesia. And these aren't countries that are really part of a U.S. free trade agreement. That means the electric vehicle tax credit is basically impossible to get right now. The original $7,500 credit that I just talked about that I got for for consumers buying an electric vehicle uh, in in previous years is limited to 2,000 or 200,000 vehicles that have been sold per manufacturer. So since there weren't that many volts sold, I qualified for that. But as more and more of the vehicles, let's say a Chevy Bolt or uh, any of the other EVs, as they're selling 200,000 of these vehicles, that's when the credit goes away. So the automakers will hit that cap and you can no longer benefit from that credit. That's why the new credit was put into this legislation. However, the mineral requirement right now in the legislation is 40% by 2024. And then that mineral requirement goes up to 80% by 2027 and 100% by 2029. So a lot of things are going to have to change. Whether we're going to mine it here, which I don't think we have all of that stuff here in the United States, maybe, uh, or they're going to have to start recycling a lot of the old batteries from the first generation electric vehicles or start recycling all the uh, uh, rechargeable batteries, the, the the double A's that you're putting in your kids' uh, toys, right? Um, so if you want an EV, then you're going to have to check to see that that credit is really still available before you buy one. And and speaking of, of EVs, the CEO of Ford, Jim Farley, he was saying that he expects the cost of these raw materials to make electric vehicles to stay pretty expensive, meaning the price of electric vehicles will continue to go up and not come down. Because typically, as you get technology that uh, is improving over years, just think of computers, TVs, the prices usually come down, right? Now you can, you, when you wanted to buy an 80-inch screen TV, it would cost you eight, ten thousand $10,000, right? Now you can get it for like $300. Um, <laughs> maybe not that cheap, but, but you see my point. Same with computers and phones and all that stuff. But uh, the prices of lithium and cobalt and nickel, they continue to go up. And that's making the cost to create the batteries for electric vehicles expensive. And that cost, of course, gets passed on to you when you're buying one of these electric vehicles. And that's why they wanted to have this tax credit. But you can't get it because we don't have these free trade agreements with these countries that are mining all this stuff. In fact, Ford says most EVs will increase in price between anywhere from $6,000 to $8,500, depending on the model. And, and Ford isn't alone in this. Tesla has increased its prices. Uh, Rivian has increased their prices for their electric vehicles. And I think the only change here we're going to see in these prices is really in battery technology, in the, in the technology of, of creating batteries and creating um, uh, storage of electricity without using all those minerals. And there's actually a company here in Colorado. I've been trying to get them on the show. It's called Solid Power. Um, they are working on developing solid-state batteries for electric vehicles, and these solid-state batteries have um, a, the potential to offer more range for EVs, 
shorter recharging times, uh, lower risk of fires than the lithium batteries. So it's a different uh, technology than the current technology and doesn't use as many of those minerals. So maybe that's where all of this is going. Well, anyway, we'll see how it goes. And I'm still trying to get solid power on the show, and I, I'm hoping to do that in the next several weeks. Um, they, they, Solid Power says they should have a prototype battery of their solid state prototype battery ready to deliver to Ford and BMW by the end of this year to start testing it and see how it works. But uh, vehicles using those batteries if for us to buy are still years down the road. So that, I think that's where the new technology is going to go. That's why I still think that hydrogen is a great idea. It's still a little costly, but still creating electricity from hydrogen where you only have the uh, byproduct as uh, water vapor uh, is really a great option. It's just trying to come up with the hydrogen and creating the hydrogen, fueling the cars, and then running them on the hydrogen. Um, I'm surprised that more more of the uh, uh, research and development and money isn't going into that and is still going all for electric-powered vehicles. Um, anyway, I think it's, uh, it's all pretty interesting here. And separate from EVs is self-driving, right? But it, it could be the future of cars because I think the dream of the future of vehicles has to be fully self-driving cars out there, right? Because we keep getting closer and closer... Every day, we're one step closer to that future, and General Motors recently announced that their Super Cruise hands-free driving feature is now available on more roads. Well, what exactly is Super Cruise? Well, why can't you use it on every road? I have a lot of questions here uh, about this and self-driving, and so I invited General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller, to be here on the show to talk all about it. Jeff, thanks for being here and joining me on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, Jeff, I mentioned the self-driving uh, in that introduction, and as I understand it now, there really isn't a true self-driving feature yet uh, or, or vehicle yet, so explain what the difference is between Super Cruise and self-driving, and I, I think you also have something called Ultra Cruise. Yeah, so Super Cruise is the industry's first true hands-free driver assistance technology for enabled roads. Essentially what it is, we've we developed it around two key advanced technologies, LiDAR-based mapping, as well as a driver attention system, in addition to real-time cameras, radars, and precision GPS. We utilize all those inputs, and we call it fusion. We fuse all those inputs um, into, into one, and, and that's really how SuperCruise determines um, where it can operate and how it will operate. Today, we're geofencing it to, to operate only on um, divided highways, and these are typically interstates um, that, that we know today, um, about 200,000 miles of roads um, throughout the U.S. and Canada. And we're going to talk today about some of the um, the enhancements that we have coming up. And, and what is the true difference between hands-free and self-driving? Uh, what, what What is the difference there at, at, for me as the user? Yeah, so as I mentioned, Super Cruise is a hands-free driver assistance technology. So you, you can't hit the button and read a book or go on a computer and answer emails or go in the back and sleep, the driver still needs to be pay, paying attention to the road. So what we have with Super Cruise is we have a driver attention system, which is the little camera that's mounted on top of the steering column that is monitoring both the driver's head pose and their eye gaze. So there's some redundancy there to ensure that the driver is, is still paying attention. So while the system may be automating um, certain things like steering, braking, 
throttle apply, maintaining a gap to the vehicle ahead of you, the driver is still engaged and paying attention to the road. Um, so this allows you to, to relax on your, on your drive, whether it's a daily commute, a long uh, vacation drive that, you know, you're heading down to Florida or Texas or whatever it may be um, to just, you know, sit back, still pay attention to the road, supervise the system and, 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 and relax. But I think, you know, as well as I do, that if, if the car is going to do something for me and make it easier for me to drive and I could just let my hands go, that I, I'm going to be in my head thinking, hey, what's to prevent me from just checking out mentally and then reading a book or grabbing my phone and start scrolling through the Instagram feed? Yep. So that driver attention system that I mentioned, it's monitoring your head pose and your eye gaze. So if it detects after a certain period of time that you're not paying attention to the road and that period of time that it's looking at varies based on vehicle speed as well as road curvature. So obviously if the vehicle speed is higher, you're covering more ground in a given period of time. So we we don't allow you to look away as long at, at higher speeds. But you can look away though. Yep, we, we allot enough time for you to change the radio station, you know, adjust the, the temperature in the vehicle, those sort of things. Do you have sufficient time to do those? But certainly we, we don't allow sufficient time and we do not recommend you texting, you know, talking on your phone um, or, or, or reading emails, those sort of things. So let's say I have one of those dash mount things where I can put my phone into a little suction cup that's right there on the windshield, right? And so I have my phone up there, and I will – all right, I'm, I'm admitting to you, Jeff, uh, that I sometimes watch TV while I'm driving, okay? And now mostly I'm just oh, listening. No. I'm just listening to it most of the time, right? Uh, but I could, I, I, can, I could see it. So what's to stop me then? So the, so the car can see my eyes. It can see my face, but I'm looking at the TV that's sitting there right in front of my – where I should be looking at the road. <laughs> Yep, you do, you do need to to move your eyes around. So if if you're just sitting and looking at one spot, it will it will tag you eventually oh. um, in a, in a period of time. So you do need to be you know moving your head, moving your eyes. If we do lane changes, you know we like you to to obviously supervise those as well and to look to the side to make sure that the the lane adjacent to you that you're turning into is clear. And then what happens to the car as I'm sitting in there and it says? Look, this this doofus is just not paying attention right now, and I I need to wake him up. So, what does the car do at that point? Give me alarms? Does it just shut the system off and then start pulling over? What does it do? Yep. So we go through several iterations, um, or we call it an escalation path. If the driver attention system determines that the driver is not engaged or paying attention, so it'll start off a little more softly with the the safety seat alert, um, or the haptic seat will shake or gently vibrate to try to get your attention. We'll utilize the light bar on top of the steering column that will flash green to try to get your attention. If you don't respond to that, the light bar is going to flash red. You're gonna continue to get the the haptic seat that's gonna shake. You're gonna get chimes, so there's audible alerts. If you don't respond to that, then you're gonna get an angry lady over the the speaker system that that yells at you and tells you to take control of the vehicle. Hopefully in Um, an English accent. (laughs) Yes, it's it's loud and it's meant to it's meant to get your attention because at that point you've been traveling for some period of time without looking at the road Um, and at that point if if you don't respond we assume we have an incapacitated driver um, that's not paying attention and and is not able to take control of the system so we will begin slowing the vehicle down in its lane we'll turn the hazards on bring the vehicle to a a safe controlled stop in its lane and then onstar is going to dial into the vehicle to get you help that's really interesting. My guest is General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller. So that is actually when the car takes over, 
that is almost the car becoming self-driving at that point, where it is controlling everything, the braking, the steering, the controlling of getting off to the shoulder and then stopping altogether. Yeah, I, I don't like to use the term self-driving with Super Cruise. Um, it is a, a hands-free driver assistance technology, so the driver still needs to be engaged. When you tell folks it's a self-driving or autonomous car, they think they can completely check out, and you cannot do that with Super Cruise. But doesn't that car pretty much do that uh, task if the car thinks that the person in that instance is uh, incapacitated? Yeah, it, it'll it'll operate um, in that capacity to stay in its lane to bring the vehicle to a safe, controlled stop. And again, we'll have OnStar dial into the vehicle to get you help. And, and to go back onto that that point you just made about self-driving versus sup, uh, super cruise, do you think Tesla becomes the problem because they're uh, making a, a, a the perception of the average casual driver that the car will drive itself and that you can engage their self-driving technology and you just sit back and you can take a nap because we've seen people with videos of that. And, and is that an education issue? Is, is that just a, a problem for all the other automakers, including General Motors, to overcome because Tesla is out there saying, we have a self-driving car and, uh, and you should be able to have that too in every other model? Well, well I'm certainly not a, a Tesla expert. Um, I, I don't know their decision-making process and how they execute their products. But what I can say here at General Motors, we want to take a safe, more conservative approach to, to driver assistance technology. That's why I'm anytime I talk about Super Cruise, I like to talk about it in plain terminology. It is a driver assistance technology. It's hands-free. Um, it's not an autom autonomous technology. It's not self-driving. It's a driver assistance technology that will automate certain tasks like steering, brake, apply throttle as long as the driver's engaged. And, and really our approach has been has been much different than some of our competitors. We have that LIDAR-based mapping that geofences Supercruise to operate only in areas that we are confident it can operate safely and confidently. And then we have that driver attendance system to make sure that the driver is engaged and, and still paying attention to the road in the event that the, the system needs to hand back control, they are ready to do so. And General Motors has been working on something called Ultra Cruise as well, which is, I believe, more self-driving uh, technology. So what are those differences between, as you say, the Super Cruise and maybe the next level of Ultra Cruise? Yeah, so Ultra Cruise, um, there's a whole separate team. There's another counterpart, or my counterpart, that's working on that and leading that effort. But essentially, our ultimate vision is a system that will enable hands-free driving our transportation and 95% of all driving scenarios, that is what Ultra Cruise is going to accomplish. So it's still a driver assistance technology. The driver still needs to pay attention to the road and remain engaged, but it really broadens the um, the operating domain. And, and that's what Ultra Cruise is going to be doing here in the next couple of years. Do you think, as I'm speaking with General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller, that there will ever be true self-driving? Are, are we 10 years, 20, 50, 100 years Oh, I wish I could I could put a pin on exactly when that's going to occur. I, I think it's going to occur. Um, it, it has to occur at some point. Technology is going to continue to evolve. Honestly, I don't know when, though. You know, we're going to continue to push our technologies like Super Cruise, Ultra Cruise, um, and, and moving towards that vision where we can give drivers their time back. You know, when you're commuting, the ultimate goal would be that you could be, be answering emails and and be doing things that are, are more constructive or um, for your for your calendar as opposed to to just sitting there and and driving. I was reading that the uh, Super Cruise technology 
currently works, as you were talking about, on those mapped divided highways, and that this expansion of Super Cruise is going to allow it to work on more roads because of the mapping that you folks have been doing. Why does the system need roads to be mapped out in this way? Why can't I get in, in my car here at home and then drive to work and it, it works on the surface streets, it works on the highways, it works all the way to, uh, to where I want to go? So that's one thing that, that I take pride in is our, our safe approach to driving or assisted driving technologies. With Super Cruise, we chose that we, we, we chose to only operate on roads that we map. So what we do is we work a supply, with a supplier who has LiDAR equipped vehicles. They go out and scan the roads that, that we'd like to operate on. When they're scanning these roads, they're collecting information and building a map that has all the information about the road. We know how many lanes there are, we know where the we can see where the lane lines are with the, the camera system. We know road curvature, elevation, um, merge points, entrance, exits, those sort of things. So we know everything about the road. And that helps us and helps Super Cruise to operate with more confidence because we know what's coming up um, ahead of us. So if, say, you're traveling 70 miles an hour on, on a highway and we know that there's a sharper curve coming up, we can slow down. We can slow the vehicle down in advance to be at a more appropriate speed for that higher curvature um, road or corner coming up um, so that it's a more comfortable experience for our customers. How often is this mapping happening? Because road conditions can change, whether it's deterioration, whether it's a, a pothole. How does that mapping keep up with the changes in road work, road construction? Yep. So we're mapping all the time. Um, as you're aware, there's construction everywhere. We have a, a bunch of it here in Michigan. It can be frustrating, but we have ties and, and communication paths to each of the departments of transportations in the United States. And when we're in communication with them, they let us know when construction is going to be starting and ending. So we know when construction has ended, um, if they've changed or shifted the, the road in some manner, we can then talk to our mapping supplier to go precision LIDAR map those roads so that our customers have the latest and greatest map at all times. Previously, we were on about a quarterly update or a quarterly um, map update process where we would push fresh maps to, to the customers on a quarterly basis. Right now, we're actually improving that timing. We're on about a monthly basis. We're going to continue to, to um, enhance that area to try to push the, the latest and greatest maps more frequently. But right now, it's about a, a monthly basis. My guest is General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller. That has to be pretty expensive. And I would imagine that as you're doing this, you, you would might want to share that cost with other automakers. So is this just GM exclusive where you have this map all by yourself? Or is Ford also in there? Is Chrysler also pitching it a little bit? BMW, Toyota, are, are, is it through, through all the automakers or, or just individually GM? Yeah, I, I don't know if others are using our specific uh, mapping supplier, but I do know that the map that we use is GM proprietary. So we have unique things in there that only um, that, you know, that we build and that we want in that in that map um, that other suppliers are not allowed to use. So if the roads have to be equipped and mapped in, in a special way, basically, to accommodate the Super Cruise, then do the traffic lights and the road signals and uh, crosswalks, those sort of things also have to be equipped as well. So your super cruise features can know that the traffic light is, is going to be changing or that there's a crosswalk there and to watch out for pedestrians. 
So today we do not operate in those on those areas. If, um, for example, on this this new road expansion where we're doubling um, the number of miles that Super Cruise is capable of operating on, we're going from two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand um, miles of roads in the U.S. and Canada. Um, a lot of those roads they do have traffic lights or or crossings or, or those sorts of things. Um, we we shut off those sections. So um, I forget the exact number, but a couple hundred meters prior to that traffic light, we will turn super cruise off um, and hand control back to the driver. And then once you've you've driven through that traffic light, we will then enable the road again or the map, and then super cruise will, will be able to come back on. So that's a feature that will always be either turning on, turning off, uh, allowed to use it, not allowed to use it, depending on where you're driving at this point. But do you see then a future in the next five years, 10 years that that feature will be allowed to stay on and be able to uh, slow you down at the traffic light? Or is that part of the ultra cruise or the uh, eventual uh, you know, self-driving technology that is much farther down the road? You no, know, we're always looking for ways to improve um, the feature set and the technology to provide the greatest benefit to our customers, but nothing to announce in that space today. How does bad weather affect your super cruise i'm traveling let's say here in colorado and i'm on one of the interstate highways and either it starts raining or as you know in colorado or in michigan it could start snowing so how does that affect the super cruise feature yep so super cruise is a it's a radar based system it's a vision based system and it's a map based system so when we're driving down the road like i said in the the map um, we know everything about the road but we also utilize cameras to determine where the lane lines are so that we can center the vehicle in lane. If, for example, you have heavy snow or heavy rain um, where the camera system cannot pick up those, those lines or the lines are washed out through wear and they haven't been maintained, Super Cruise will detect that. It'll detect that the lines have been degraded and can no longer pick them up um, and will hand control back to the driver um, so that you can you can drive through those areas. So again, that's almost part of the mapping technology and also the uh, systems that are on board with this car. So uh, really the infrastructure of the road itself, the paint on the on the road actually is a pretty big, important feature for the Super Cruise to be able to keep super cruising. Yep. And that's part of the reason why we've, we've chosen the roads that we operate on today is those tend to be higher traveled roads. Um, there's many more people traveling on those roads than, say, other secondary um, roads. So they tend to be more um, or high, high, highly maintained and, and in better condition so that you don't run into to scenarios where the lane lines are frequently washed out um, and, and you have to take, a, take back control. So is this feature available on only select vehicles that, that GM is going to be making, or is it going to be available on all new cars and trucks? And uh, going forward, how is this technology going to change on the newer vehicles? Yep. So we've launched quite a few vehicles with Super Cruise so far. Um, it, it started in 2017 on the Model Year 18 CT6. Since then, we've launched the, the Model Year 21 Escalade, the CT4, CT5, the V-Series for both of those. Um, we've launched Super Cruise on the 22 Bolt EUV, as well as the, the light duty pickups. So the Sierra, the Silverado, and, and the, the Hummer. Um, so we're making a we're making a big splash. We're committed to launching Super Cruise on 22 new vehicles by the end of next calendar year. So by the end of calendar 23. So while we have launched Super Cruise on quite a few vehicles, we got a lot more to go, um, both this year and, and into next year. And then we're going to keep going. Um, so we're committed to 22 
uh, by the end of next year. You probably have to have some kind of a great big supercomputer in the vehicle to run the programming and all the sensors and all of that stuff. Is is it connected to 5G? Is it is it doing real time between either other cars or the infrastructure network? So all the computations and the algorithms are done in the vehicle. Now, we do require a data connection so that we can transfer the latest and greatest map to the vehicle. We do that over the air. And now we're also, due to the, the VIP ele- electrical architecture, the vehicle intelligence platform, um, which started in 21, um, the CT4, CT5, Escalade, all of the many of our newer vehicles are on that architecture. That allows us to do OTAs. Um, so we're going to be able to, to enhance the feature set and be able to provide customers um, with that latest and greatest feature set through the year. So that's part of the reason why that data connection is there um, as well. But when Super Cruise is in operation, um, we utilize precision GPS, but all the, the decision-making, the algorithms, all of that is done um, in, as you call it, the mega computers or supercomputers um, and, and modules that are contained in the vehicle. And is, does all of this come as, a, as an extra cost to me, the buyer of the vehicle? Do I have to pay a extra fee? I know BMW is now charging for me to uh, turn on their already equipped heated seats. Um, so am I going to have to pay for this additional feature? Yep. So there is additional hardware um, that is added to the vehicle. And when you go to order a vehicle or if you go to the dealership, you'll notice in the label that there is a charge um, for Super Cruise because there is additional hardware um, to enable that feature set. On our Cadillac models, I believe it's $2,500, and then Chevy, Buick, and GMC will be $2,200. And then is there an, a, an operational cost, like a monthly cost or a yearly cost to uh, allow this function to happen? Yep. So with the, the charge or the, the pricing that I just mentioned that's included in MSRP, that does include three years of usage. Um, so we provide three years of connectivity and data for Super Cruise to, to continue to be used over the course of those three years. Once that that three years has expired, um, the owner will have to um, subscribe to a data connectivity package um, that enables Super Cruise, and that's about twenty. I believe it's twenty five dollars per month um, here in the U.S. Now, basically, the same as if I wanted to re um, hook up my OnStar in my current GM car. Yep, and when you get that standalone Super Cruise package um, that enables Super Cruise, you do also get that that OnStar Emergency Advisor. In the event that we um, that we sense or the driver attention system senses that you have an incapacitated driver, you do get that OnStar emergency advisor service as well. My guest is General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of Super Cruise, Jeff Miller. Do you think people are ready for self-driving cars, for hands-free cars? It's one thing to have automatic windows. That's that's easy. Everybody gets that, and I think everybody gets the cruise control feature, right? But are people ready to have that feeling where you're letting go of the steering wheel and, and, and your passengers are looking at you like, what what magic stuff is happening right now? I, I feel a little bit freaked out because I'm sitting in the passenger seat and you're not holding the wheel and you're barely looking at the road. <laughs> well, there are different buckets of people in the population. We'll always have that small percentage of, of folks that are early adopters. They love technology. They want the latest and greatest. They want more and more and more, right? And then there's, there's, there are others that may be more conservative that are just hesitant um, that it may take more time um, to get accustomed to the technology. I know when I first started working on the Super Cruise program about four years ago, the first time that I Super Cruised, I remember my hands were were hovering over the wheel. I, d- I wasn't sure what the, co- the what the system was able to do. Um, I didn't have confidence in the, st- in the system. But after driving for about 15, 20 minutes, 
you, you really gain conf confidence pretty quickly in what the system's capable of doing. So I think as, as people start to see the technology rolled out and they experience it, they're going to be more um, adept to buying it. And in, in fact, on our, um, on our CT6 customer base, we had surveyed them. And of those that had used SuperCruise, 85% of those, of those customers said that they need SuperCruise or want SuperCruise in their next vehicle purchase. So it's truly one of those features that once you've used it, you can't live without it. That's interesting, your perspective there, but you were sitting behind the driver's wheel and you were the one letting go. You weren't sitting in the passenger seat <laughs> looking at the person next to you letting go. So that has to be a whole different feeling, though. Yeah, it's a different dynamic. My, my wife, she had that the same type of feeling. But like I said, even if you're a passenger, it really only takes a couple of minutes to become confident in this system and to see what it's capable of doing. Uh, so you think. Uh, yeah, or at least that's what she's telling you. Uh, <laughs> what a, have, you, have you folks looked at any of these legal issues that have come up since Tesla has been doing this and other uh, automakers have been you, you know, dabbling into this self-driving and, and hands-free driving? Uh, like the questions about who are who is who's responsible in case of a, a crash or a problem while these systems in action is it the car maker is it the software company is it the driver is it the state because there was a problem with uh, the uh, traffic signals or the connectivity problems or is it the company the lidar company that that's supposed to be looking at everything so is, there's got to be so many issues here challenges to overcome with who's responsible if any of these features are enabled and then there's a, a crash yep so like i said super cruise is a driver assistance technology so the driver needs to be engaged and that's why we place the driver attention system in there to make sure that the driver is still paying attention we do work with nitsa um, and we report any any crash through their sgo or standard uh, or standing general order um, and, and we analyze any and all crashes to to determine um, if the system was at fault to date, we, we haven't had any um, where, where SuperCruise has been at fault. And our customers have driven more than 34 million miles utilizing SuperCruise um, to date. Interesting. My guest is General Motors Assistant Chief Engineer of SuperCruise, Jeff Miller, in the short few moments that we have left. What is next for Super Cruise? What's beyond hands-free? Do you merge Super Cruise with Ultra Cruise, or, or do you go on to uh, Super Ultra Cruise? Is there another level of Mega Cruise? I'd love to tell you what's <laughs> next. What I can tell you is is that we're not going to stop. We're going to keep working on on advancing not only this technology, but but bringing forth new technologies. You know, we're always looking to provide the greatest benefit to our customers, and we're not going to stand still. So there is more to come, but nothing to announce today. Because uh, when I'm talking about all these cruise stuff, it sounds like you're working for Royal Caribbean, frankly. Um, but <laughs> 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 Well, all right. Jeff uh, Miller, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate all your insight, all your expertise. It really is an interesting feature, and we'll see uh, how it goes in the future. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Take All care. Right. All right. If you want to get some more information about Super Cruise and the technology, it's all available right now in the link that I have uh, in the description of this show. I think Jeff wasn't, um, <laughs> I don't know how he took it. He did smile when I, when I, when I mentioned Mega Cruise. Um, because, I mean, look, when you start, <laughs> you start using cruise technology and, and you have different levels of different kind of cruise things, Super Cruise, Ultra Cruise, why, why not go for Mega Cruise? I mean, what's next after Mega Cruise? Um, ultra Mega Super Cruise? You can't combine all of them. You have to have them in separate things. But what's bigger than Mega Cruise? Um, uni uh, Universal Cruise? I, I, I don't, it's one of the many cruises out there. 
Uh, it reminds, reminds me. I don't know why I think it's so funny. Uh, so in in you'll you'll see it probably at your local TV station. I know we do it here at at, at my TV station, and, and you'll hear a news copy saying crews were out cleaning up this crash, or crews were out doing this or that. Uh, what crews? Tom, Ted, Penelope, what? <laughs> <laughs> what cruise? I don't know. I just think that's funny, and it's stupid. I know it's really stupid, and you can go ahead and leave me a comment and tell me how stupid it is. On the listener hotline, 303-832-0217. Anyway, thanks again to uh, to GM for uh, sending for uh, hooking me up with uh, Jeff. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, especially talking to uh, him about the whole self-driving stuff. Actually, I'm going to be talking to another fo- uh, another guy from GM next episode, and we're going to be talking about electric vehicles and, and an interesting part of the electric vehicle. So you, you, most emergency responders know how to respond when they get to a crash with involving regular vehicles that are filled with gasoline or diesel, whatever. It's a different challenge for those folks, for the firefighters and the paramedics and the uh, police officers and the tow truck drivers to respond to a crash involving electric vehicles. They Not all of them know how to handle the vehicle, where they can touch it, how they cannot get electrocuted, all those different aspects of uh, dealing with a EV. And, and let's say some of the batteries rupture, and is it likely going to catch on fire, um, start smoking? And so how do they deal with all of that stuff? Well, GM, they have this uh, program to uh, train first responders, and I think second responders too, uh, to uh, EV emergency situations. And um, so that'll be interesting to get uh, their perspective on how that training goes and what they are training and, and why it's so important. So I'll have that on the next episode. Anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.